This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are just a couple of guys who really, really love this show, even if sometimes it's hard to tell. And how could you not? I mean, <laughs> how could you not tell, given that we're doing all of Doctor Who? Who would do that? Who would do that? And, and how can you, especially not the, uh, the story that we're covering this week, how could you not love it? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are ways I could see, but... Um, it is uh, definitely considered one of the classics of the series. Um, yeah. It is, of course, the one with the pyramids. No, not the one. Well, actually, there is a, the, the pyramid at the end of the world. Was that what it was called in the Cabaldi era? Yeah. Yep, was, the guess. pyramid at the end of the world. I'm not thinking, and... Are there other titles with pyramids? I think this is the only no, two. But there yeah. is another of Mars title. That's true. Waters That's true. <laughs> of Mars. If you smash together pyramids at the end of the world and the waters of Mars, you get pyramids of Mars. Yes. And that's what we're talking about this week. And it's it's exciting because this is obviously we're watching all of Doctor Who in random order. The randomizer is taking us there. And this is the first time it's taken us to what you might call a classic episode. Yes, indeed. And uh, the question I'm going to have for you this week, Pete, as, as we discuss this classic episode, which I have just watched for the first time. Oh, you're kidding um, me. You've never seen Pyramids of Mars. Oh, wow. Never seen Pyramids of Mars. I think I saw the first episode before, uh, but never the whole thing. And obviously, I took people talk about it a lot and, and heard quotes from it and understood it's the one where he first talks about his age and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, it's talked up a lot in the in the Doctor Who guides that I read obsessively as a kid, but, it, you know, it wasn't easy to just sort of go out and see a particular episode yeah, that was, was sort of yeah. interesting. Britbox but the question I'm going to have for, for you, question I'm going to have for you in the show, and the, the question I, I hope we get to discuss is: Is this a top ten Doctor Who story? Because it's a very good question. It, it was voted as such by the readers of Doctor Who magazine um, in their three last polls that they've done over over the decades, uh, where they ask all their readers to rank all Doctor Who stories. This is consistently in the top ten, but it is slowly dropping out of the top ten. Right. And it well, is less popular among um, younger uh, Doctor Who fans, because they break it down by age. So it's it's clearly something that sticks with, with the old geezers. Um, definitely. <laughs> like, like yeah, us, it's I guess, definitely, I, guess I mean, it sticks category. with you. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot, as you mentioned... There's a lot of sort of lore, Doctor Who lore in this. There's like first many mm -hmm. firsts and lots of explicit references and lots of sort of explicit talking about the show in some ways. Um, not breaking the fourth wall, but like trying to get at mm -hmm. the fundamentals a bit. So it's I think it's fondly remembered for some of those reasons. And, you know, there's there's certainly things that are just make it a good piece of television. Is mm -hmm. it one of the best? Is it a top 10? That is a very good question. Mm -hmm. We will answer that. We will yeah. answer that after we... Uh, unpack it a little bit 
Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. I think I think we can do a quick previously on pull to open. Um, <laughs> we we came to this straight from Sleep No More, a uh, rather middling, to put it politely, Peter Capaldi episode. If, if ambitious, though, I respect yes. it for its ambition. I know we sort of came just sort of barely on opposite sides of that. Whereas I like respected the ambition and liked some of the aspects of it even though a lot of it didn't make sense and you were so it worked for me whereas for you i think you saw the same stuff and the flaws were just a little too egregious don't definitely, speak for you definitely no i i think that's fair um but yeah definitely respected the ambition of of sleep no more but it's interesting and this is why i love the randomizer approach to to go from kind of an okay you know, uh, new series episode to a, you know, clearly top of the range classic episode. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting because you get to see how far we've come just in terms of acting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, special effects, obviously, uh, how much they pack into a story. Um, you know, yeah, how we cut away a lot of, uh, you know, what I would say padding that the yeah. old series used to do. Uh, often. Yeah, there is, <laughs> there is padding even in Pyramids of Mars. There's quite a lot of padding. That's kind of my issue with it. Um, but to, to put them right next to each other is fascinating and not something we would have seen without a randomizer. So thank you, randomizer. Yeah, so we're, we're going to try and do something something new on Pull to Open. We have a very experimental podcast with experimental segments. And we're, we're going to try a... Uh, a new segment where one of us summarizes the entire story that we're about to talk about so that you, the listener, don't have to watch it and you can either remember it or you can close your ears if you haven't seen it. You don't want spoilers. So if you do want spoilers, this is sort of the the, the TLDW, right. uh, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Good name for the segment. <laughs> TLDW. Uh, but we're doing it in a fun way because I have actually just closed my notes i'm not gonna close my laptop but i put it in sleep mode so they can't see Mm. and we're this is a challenge now (laughs) i think yep i'm going to try to recite the plot of this show uh in in a uh well a couple minutes i guess what do we what do we say in 30 seconds per episode what are we gonna do yeah yeah 30 seconds I'll, i'll give you two minutes total you can you can spend that how you like uh talking about what you want uh but yeah sort of i i can give you I can give you, um, you know, time checks at the 30-second mark so that you know you should be roughly at the end of the first episode. Wow, okay. I've got got to really soundbite this. I'm just thinking, like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be interesting. And then in in the edit, you can add some uh, ticking noises and uh, and maybe a big old alarm clock at the end. You know it. You know it. All right. So you ready? I'm going to count you down. Okay. Okay. Wow, right. ticking noises in Doctor Who. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Three, that. Three, two, one, start. Okay. Uh, we're in Egypt, and Guy is going into a tomb of some kind, and something bad happens to him. So then the Doctor and Sarah are on a TARDIS. The Doctor is being all broody. Um, and then, oh, my God, I completely forget how they get wind of this. I think there's some kind of transmission that he encounters. And then... Um, ends up landing in uh, where the unit HQ is in the future, um, but it's in 1911. So what happens is the there's seconds. a guy uh, who, the guy in the tomb, uh, actually the tomb he disturbed was uh, Sutek's tomb. Sutek turns out is an alien, 
that some other guy uh, who was also an alien in prison there 7,000 years ago, and he's really, really powerful and wants to destroy basically the cosmos, and actually did that uh, about 7,000 years ago, some of it, anyway. So he's been in prison on Earth for some reason, and these uh, there's a time corridor between the tomb and the house, and the doctor, uh, you know, punches out some guys. No, he doesn't punch out of it. There's some robots that are dressed as mummies, um, and he, um, Sutek, uh, is trapped, but he has this guy doing his bidding, the guy who came into the tomb, and that guy uh, uses the mummies to create a rocket that's actually going to blow up this base on Mars, which is shaped like a pyramid that is holding Sutek prison there. He doesn't succeed, but he does capture the doctor and uses his TARDIS to do the same thing. It works. He is free. Sutek is free. But because there is actually a time delay uh, due to the speed of light, the Sutek is in prison for just enough time, like two minutes for the doctor to lay a trap and trap him in a time corridor so that when he tries to get out of the tomb, he doesn't. He's trapped forever in the doctor's trap. And the doctor uh, has saved the universe once again, even though everybody else in the episode died. <laughs> Good job. Wow, you did it with four seconds to spare. <laughs> oh, yeah. Baby. Oh, and it's gonna it was there. I don't know it. why I said he punched someone out at some point. <laughs> that was that was a weird interlude. Um, I think I was erroneously remembering for a second the Seeds of Doom, and I don't know why because I haven't actually seen that episode in a long time. But it's sort of similar Victorian house, and there's a there's a point where the doctor's like karate chopping people. But for some reason, that imagery just popped in my head. Uh, but yeah, like generally, I, I, I think I, like I hit it. the major beats. Yeah, I think you. I think you hit the major beats there. The Sutex pyramid is on Mars. Um, I think you said right. he was trapped on Earth at some point. Um, Isn't he though? What I mean, else? I don't get the, it. The, the 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 various challenges. I mean, obviously, it gives a little bit short shrift to Episode Four, which is where the Doctor is transported and everyone's transported to the pyramid on Mars. All right, let's let's clarify this. So, like, there's the pyramid yeah. on Mars. So, is Sutek trapped on Earth or on Mars? Because the guy is clear, like, like the archaeologist is on Earth, and he goes into the tomb, and therefore, like, he encounters Sutek, right? So... Yeah, well, he goes into a tomb, uh, and, and we don't know, and it looks like the same space that Sutek is in later on. Um, it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, well, I thought so, I thought the idea was Sutek was trapped in a tomb on on Earth, and I think that's why the the twist at the end works, right? Because it's like the Eye of Horus is destroyed, therefore freeing him. But because it takes two minutes for those radio waves to finish, you know, like there's there's two minutes it'll, of of transmission. Um from Mars to Earth, you know, for, for light to travel, he's still trapped for two minutes. That's all they have, because mm. it was... Um, yeah. And so the Doctor has two minutes to basically lay his trap, otherwise he gets out. Well, uh, yeah. according to the Wikipedia page, the, the pyramid is actually on Mars. Oh, the pyramid is on Mars, yes. That's, that, yeah. that's the power source. Sutek isn't on Mars. Uh, well, they, so they arrive on Mars. Upon arrival on Mars, Scarman is the Doctor strangled, uh, and proceeds into the pyramid. Um, yeah, it's a little confusing. It's totally confusing, the, but, I, but I think it only, the, the end only works, I think, if Sutek is on Earth, right? 
because it was uh, on Mars yeah. and the pyramids destroyed or the power source is destroyed. He just comes out and kills everybody. It, but he has to get out of the tomb, and it takes two minutes for the effect of the explosion to be felt on Earth. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's a little confusing. I think some establishing shots would have helped. Agreed. <laughs> but I mean, Every I'm time not the only one to just... be confused because I was I was mm. looking at some notes on this story to prep for this podcast, and there's a there's a book. I think it's called the uh, History of Doctor Who on Television, which, which that was written in the '90s. Someone did it as like some kind of master's project, I think. But he unpacks every episode, and he he was clearly confused because he thought the same thing. Um, uh. So I mean, I don't know. Like I'm not saying my version's definitive. Like maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but this is what I always sort of thought it was because it's like then uh, otherwise it's like the guy on Earth, the tomb would have to be some gateway to Mars, right, or something? Because uh, then how does Sutek take take over Scarman? Yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know. I'm sort of lost on the mechanics of it, which is. Ironic that they they don't get into it more because they have so much time available in those first three episodes to really explain what's going on. I know, um, and they instead just have a lot of people lumbering, a lot of mummies lumbering around, a lot of mm. a lot of you know. Okay, now like it gets so that the Egyptian like um, iconography it just gets so repetitive. You kind of at the the third or fourth shot of the sarcophagus go, okay, like I get it, like yep, I get it, Egyptian stuff. The mummies are interesting. I mean, they they are kind of iconic. They're these big lumbering things that definitely... And I I think this is a reason why, you know, uh, veterans of the classic series remember this so fondly, is if you just have the still shots to go on, um, like any any still shot, and I remember seeing a few with the mummies in it, kind of looks... Uh, amazing. I don't. I yeah. know you. You weren't particularly a fan of how the mummies looked. I thought they were no, kind yeah. of super scary. You know, and I'm in a fact, they're torn on the mummies. They're scary, but they also aren't scary because they're so obviously mm. robots from the get-go. Yeah. Um, that said, they're big and lumbering, and one of the best choices they made with them is they don't have anything that's like discernibly eyes, right? So that you know, mm. I think that's a very scary thing when you can't sort of look something in the eye and. It doesn't quite. You don't really know what its sensory perception is. I don't really, you know, the, I can't really articulate exactly why that's scary, but it is. Yeah, no, uh, it's super scary. I think, yeah. especially with the, all the bandages and they kind of just, you know, that they're, they're weirdly angular with these giant barrel chests. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think this may be one reason why the randomizer brought us here is to compare the mummies to the <laughs> to the sleep creatures the sandmen from right. from sleep no more which is sort of a a you know kind of a uh, very basic villain of the monster of the new series um, and proof that even with CGI in its in its quiver of tricks um, you know the new series can sometimes be inferior to the old one just in terms of creating scary monsters oh i totally agree and i be, i do believe this is you've not only identified <clears throat> sort of a weakness of maybe some episodes of doctor who it's just, i think it's a weakness of science fiction in general today that there's an over-reliance on cgi that began sometime in the 2000s and i i am definitely a big fan of like natural effects things that look real or could be real um because even though cgi has gotten a lot better in the last you know 15 years 15 20 years 
um, you know, stuff isn't obviously, you know, fake. Um, it's still like, you know, if you could pull it off in real life, you know, you should shoot it in real life because that's what you're sort of supposed to be. Um, you're sort of supposed to be getting us to think this is real. Um, and so, yeah. so these yeah, mummies... I, I will not remember for one second what, what the uh, Sandman in Sleep No More looked like. Right. Like well, I, they didn't look we like much. It two that's weeks ago. I've already and that's forgotten. the thing. Like, I think the mummies mostly work. I think there's one particular scene that took me out of it, out of sort of buying into them, which was when they're trying to find the poacher outside and one of them steps into his trap, right? His bear trap or whatever mm. it is. And he keeps trying, like, the mummy keeps trying to move. And it, you know, it's doing this robotic thing of doing the same thing over and over, you know, like it's a Roomba <laughs> or something that just like, <laughs> that just like, you know, found a cord and just couldn't move. And so it's like, okay, you know, like it's eating a shoelace and eventually sort of figures it out. But then you're kind of like, it actually, what, what took me out of it was like, oh, that's actually a very robotic reaction as silly as it is. But then suddenly I guess it's program got adaptive all of a sudden and it could come out of it and you it uh, got me thinking maybe a little too hard and maybe it's just me about like well what what do these things do it just it just suddenly seemed human when it needed to be human mm. um, it, well it, it also suggests that all the doctor needed to do was was go get some bear traps and he could have just <laughs> yeah. trapped all the mummies and the story would be over yeah and uh, but he also the episode I, I, where, where, where uh the doctor has to disguise himself as one of the mummies i was just gonna say that that was the maybe the main point that you missed out of the two minute recap was the doctor actually has to become a mummy and i was surprised to learn that that was actually tom baker inside the mummy costume it was yeah apparently um the director or the producer uh it's a hinchcliffe episode philip hinchcliffe uh insisted basically said yeah you've got it. he didn't want to do it <laughs> but they made him do it and i guess this is like his second, third year, third year as the doctor. I don't know. Um, second year. He uh, maybe he didn't feel empowered enough to just have outright refuse or he was just being a good sport. But um, yeah, it's really him. That's that's fantastic because I, I would not have guessed that it doesn't look Tom Baker's height uh, right. at all, it, <laughs> which well, is super I guess weird. It's interesting. I would love to see actually if there's any shots of it. Um, some pictures of the crew or the, or the actors, I guess, in the costumes without the bandages. Because I'm not sure how that works, right? Because it's obviously just mm. kind of like a harness and they wrap the 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 the, uh, the bandages around it. Um, you know, clearly there's some eye holes or something somewhere. But uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta imagine it's it's you're you, it's a claustrophobic feeling probably twice over, right? Because yeah, you're you're in Talk this suit it. number one, this frame, and then you're also wrapped in bandages head to toe talk uh, about doing your own stunts that's quite yeah. amazing i i was taking it out of the, that moment because i'm like well has he got sort of has he got his scarf bunched up in the in that barrel chest thing or <laughs> like is he is he still wearing the hat where's the hat because he does reappear shortly afterwards after having changed again uh off screen <laughs> and yeah. you know he's all he's all dresses the doctor again and and by the way we should just mention this is sort of the the ultimate um episode uh, story in terms of tom baker's style in this like it, it starts you... the very first time we see him he's doing a he sort of lifts his hat up to camera like he's in a, a cowboy film like you know we see the top of his hat and he lifts his head up 
you know, in the very first shot on the TARDIS. And it's sort of like showing off, like we found the quintessential Tom Baker style. You know, at first in the early episodes of Tom Baker, he looks a little bit uncomfortable. And in the later episodes, he goes, obviously, you know, the, the, the final season costume gets a little bit different. But here it's like, here we have the the quintessential Tom Baker look. Yeah, and I would, right? I would say that as well as like his tone is so like clear and explicit throughout. And it starts right there where you where you talk about it. And he, he for whatever reason, like in in his first scene in the episode he's you know musing about his existence as a time lord and yeah. it leads to like a, actually a pretty classic line where he talks about where he says i walk in eternity and yeah it's been used I... again uh and it's been referred to many times uh it's just it's a little bit out of nowhere but you know i still like it i mean it's like wow like he's really like for whatever reason being really reflective at this point on who he is and what his sort of ultimate responsibility is, I guess, um, which really comes clear in the story when he needs to stop Sutek, which is, you know, as villains go in Doctor Who, is one of the most powerful. It really, he, he is. And it really, that that moment at the start of the episode, that whole first scene in the TARDIS, it almost feels like a regeneration episode. Right. Don't yeah. you think? Because he's, he has a, what you might call a, a, Time Lord senior moment where hmm. he mistakes Sarah Jane for Victoria, yeah, which well, is to... <laughs> going back to the Troughton era. In his defense, she was wearing Victoria's dress, which is <laughs> yes. it's a funny thing because conveniently it's perfect for the period they end up in. Um, quite a coincidence. <laughs> She's wearing sort of a Victorian dress and then ends up sort of in a Victorian setting, but. Yeah, and it's, it's almost like the dress. TARDIS is... It, it is a beautiful dress. She wears it wonderfully, and, and you know, it's, it's really just perfect for Elizabeth Sladen. Um, and perhaps one of her best costumes ever in the show. But, uh, but yeah, he, he mistakes her for Victoria because she's wearing Victoria's dress. I, th- I think, you know, my, my head kind of is going to be that the TARDIS sees her wearing this dress. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to need to take you to uh, Victorian or actually Edwardian era. Right, end up in because we're we're in the 1910s um close enough and but close <laughs> enough close enough for the tardis um but yeah the, the fact that the, the doctor has a senior moment mistaking her as victoria and and he's sort of looking wistful about you don't you don't understand the implications you know i'm i'm 750 years old and she says oh you'll soon be middle-aged and that in that wonderful, <laughs> you know, delightful, yeah. mocking voice that, that Elizabeth Sladen has. That just well, that's the reason why we all yeah, love her. We've got to talk about Liz Sladen a bit because, like, she's really on in this episode. This is like, you know, we talked about it's quintessential Tom Baker. It's also quintessential Liz Sladen. And for many people, mm. you know, that that was Doctor Who. Uh, and rightfully so. I mean, she's she's grounding him. She's funny, uh, but not too funny. It's not forced, um, you know. She uh, actually even, <laughs> you know, she doesn't have quite her own outfit, but um, she uh, she also has a line in the episode that is ends up, it's actually pretty innocuous, I think, from what the production team was doing at the time, but it ends up screwing up when the unit era is for all time. And yes. it's like she says it a couple times. She says, I'm from 1980. And so the series, the, the serial, this adventure was broadcast in 1975. So it's very clearly an attempt to 
um, it'd be in keeping with what the unit was supposed to be, right? So like unit was always supposed to be uh, in an era that was sort of the day after tomorrow. It was always supposed to be like slightly futuristic. Um, mm. So I think they were trying to keep with that and trying to sort of keep with the show's continuity as best they could those days, which was like whatever anyone could remember. <laughs> on so is, is this... Is this it? Is this the only mention of of uh, unit being the in the eighties, in in the entirety of Doctor Who? Is well, this where the confusion I, I begins? It's a big. I don't know if it's the only one, but it is so definitive. Is why it is cited so much. I mean, if you ever mm. say, "Well, Sarah got it wrong," well, she that's saying she doesn't know what year she's from. She says it so explicitly, and it's so clearly and, intended to be. Uh, you know, she doesn't go for the easier option of I'm from 1975 or, you know, whatever, you know, some, some more vague term. Um, so that's why people really zero in on it. It's, it's probably the most explicit uh, uh, marker for the unit era. It's like, okay, so we know Sarah when she, you know, you could start, say either like the last time she was on earth it was 1980 or the la- like her, the date of her first unit story was 1980 or the first time she started traveling with the doctor, right? So either case, it's unit. Um, yeah, and so- but uh, there's also, I mean, you, you didn't mention this in the two-minute recap either because it's it's sort of almost an aside in the story, but it is yeah. the other big reason why I knew the Pyramids of Mars, which is that they do go forward to 1980 at one point. Yes. This was yeah. a scene I was really looking forward to, to seeing for the first time uh, because it's the doctor proving that, oh, if we just... If we just bug out of this adventure, um, then here's here's the result. Here's the nineteen eighty that will result from us doing nothing. Yeah. And, and it's uh, it's actually and... quite chilling. I really actually really liked it and it holds up. I mean the effects don't really hold up. It's obviously still, you know, it's clearly a, a green screen or, or a CSO mm. or whatever they used back then. But I mean the way it's you know, it's like here's nineteen eighty and it's just this barren wasteland. And I don't know what it is, but like whenever it's like contemporary or you know you see sci-fi um adventures destroying earth like explicitly like showing earth getting destroyed i don't know it, it really like has this effect it's something that can be overused certainly but it's like it mm. makes it much more visceral uh and i thought that was it was very very good the way they did that uh tone wise even if it yeah, definitely one of those everything. moments you just sort of wish for a slightly bigger budget that they could yes. we could actually go out and have a look at this apocalyptic earth instead of well, just opening the doors apparently they shot or intended to shoot um an out an exterior shot so that you'd see the tardis uh, materializing on kind of a, a a barren wasteland of some kind and they just thought it would be more powerful and i think they were correct when you know if they open the doors and see it um mm. so they discarded that but getting back to the whole idea of it i mean it's it's a really notable thing because rarely does Doctor Who do that, does this, right? It doesn't really get this explicit about how time travel works. Hmm. And it says, like, okay, so if you don't do anything, you know, time will be rewritten essentially. And, you know, the, the Sutek will destroy everything. And this contradicts other episodes, right? Because there's other episodes. And I think Doctor Who has moved away from the idea that, you know, history is fixed even though that's very much what they were saying in the early days. So you go back to the Hartnell era, they talk about the Aztecs where they arrive there. And then the doctor keeps saying, you can't change history. uh, Even though Barbara tries to sort of get them to stop doing human sacrifice. Um, And 
you know, he seems to strongly imply that there's laws of time that will prevent you from doing that. I guess you can reconcile that, and I think people have, in that if you're going to reconcile that with this adventure, which shows that uh, it's clearly the time can be rewritten rule, which seems to be what the new era adheres to as well, um, you could sort of interpret the first Doctor's comments as more like it's a law of time in word, but not in, like, physics. You know, you, you, mm. you clearly can as a time traveler. It's just you're not allowed to for... You know, you, it would just cause chaos if you kept changing time. Um, yeah, and he also says, he goes further to say, like, uh, it takes a being as powerful as Sutek to actually destroy the future, you know, to basically essentially have this big an effect on the timeline, which was interesting, which is a little bit like, that's a little interesting because it's that's a little counter to the butterfly effect, right? Because the butterfly effect is like tiny, tiny things can cause massive change further out. <laughs> Um, and this seems to sort of imply that, well, you no, you kind of need to be super powerful to do something like that. Um, it's hard to yeah. know where they're going with that it's, these days. It's it's interesting because we don't get any sense that, that the Doctor has changed anything. Like, but why is 1980 suddenly a, you know, a blasted apocalyptic ruin? What, when... Like you know, what what has changed here? The the doctor was heading for for nineteen eighty, but now nineteen eighty's gone, and it's because this thing has changed in the past. But this thing has always happened in the past because there was always a fire on. By the way, we're on the location of unit headquarters, right? The future location right. of unit headquarters. Why is landed here? But nothing of what he's done up until that point has has changed anything so i mean I, I guess he he brought lawrence scarman along with him um for the for his one trip in the tardis before he dies uh lawrence played we should mention by michael sheard who is a huge doctor who veteran so much so we've <laughs> seen him already in the invisible He's all enemy. over the place yeah yeah, yeah he was in castro valva yeah and remembrance, uh, remembrance of, the of the daleks in the ark the mind of evil um, he's all over the place. He's a real Doctor Who, that guy. Um, <laughs> he is. It's a shame he's not the same character in all of them, but I think I think they all die. I he's believe. Sort of the... I think you're right. <laughs> That's true. He's the ultimate bit player who comes along and every every character uh, snuffs it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he may win the award for most deaths in Doctor Who. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Um, but back to the old idea of like what's changed. I mean, you got a point, which is you know you can bring up almost any episode, right? Um, whether it's uh, you know say to like pick like uh, a new series episode, like the one with the Gelf, the the one with the zombie people walking around who were in the Victorian era, which is Charles Dickens, right? Um, right. Yes. I forget the what that one was. So they were going to come and like dead. destroy Earth, and the Doctor stops it. But you know if if the doctor, like basically prior to that episode, if you had gone to any point in the future of that episode, why, why is in the world earth, you know, a Gelf world, a Gelf zombie mm. world. Right. And, yeah. um, it's sort of, you know, there's obviously storytelling, uh, and sort of t how TV works, uh, reasons why, but and then in universe explanation here for pyramids of Mars, I think the easiest one <laughs> could be that the doctor's fooling everybody. You know, like he's just going to some barren planet somewhere <laughs> just to kind of make a point. And like, all right, yeah, this is the Earth. Uh, wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge. It's like, wait a minute, this, this guy's is pink. 
Oh yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's Sutek. He, he he made it pink for some reason. Uh, he likes pink. Anyway, uh, this is nineteen eighty. Wow, Sarah, this this is the doctor's equivalent of. Uh, this is why you always leave a note. <laughs> rest and development it's a, it's a pretty serious lesson see this is why what what you're getting at here is is why turn left is one of my favorite doctor who episodes of all time the only one where you get to see the consequences of what happens if the doctor fails right to be there fails to do everything you know it takes a bunch of episodes and says okay well the titanic did crash into buckham palace and you know, here was the result, and it had all these knock-on effects. Um, right. You know, different kind of butterfly effect, but in real life. Um, and so this is, I guess, the classic series equivalent of that. The Doctor taking us forward to see what would happen if, if he wasn't around. He's like, see, this is, why, this is why you need to keep me around and listen to me all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's very <laughs> serious about it. But basically, he's essentially saying, you know, this is moral obligation to stop these these bad guys and here's what happens if i don't um so it's it's fairly you know it's a moment um does it reconcile it's hard to reconcile it with all the other sort of time travel uh explanations and mechanics that we've gotten here and there but it works you know it's one of the reasons i think this this particular episode works really well um because you do see the thread and it's sort of like obviously it obviates our our end of episode um segment where what would happen if the evil plan had succeeded well this mm. is it <laughs> yeah i i think that we <laughs> exactly uh, earth becomes a, a blasted sort of you know it's not exactly clear why earth looks like that did did sutek just set off all the nuclear weapons on earth you know it's not quite clear what what the mechanics of it are but it's nice right. to have that look forward and it and it's kind of um Again, interesting that we come here straight from Sleep No More, which is one of the few episodes where the Doctor loses. And it yes. is hinted at at the end that the the sleep monster um, basically, through the video, through the fan footage we're watching, takes over the entire human race. Right? So, uh, <laughs> it's like, we, we've gone straight from that to another episode where the Doctor is showing us the consequences. Although in Sleep No More, we don't, we don't actually see what those consequences look like. We're just meant right. to imagine it. Yeah. There's uh, there's definitely a lot of, like, universe is very fragile. Time is fragile. It's hanging by a thread. You know, thank goodness the mm. doctor's here to, to sort it all out. Um, and uh, he does. <laughs> and it takes a while. He does. And, and it does take a while. And this is sort of, you know, episode four, again, in the summary, it's kind of hard to get all this in. Uh, but ep episode four is so different tonally mm -hmm. from the first three. In the first three, we're we are you know in we're in this mansion. We're outside the mansion. The mummies are lumbering around. You know, uh, Lawrence is trying to uh, you know turn Marcus back into his brother, the brother that he knew. There's a lot of those sorts of scenes were really supposed to feel i think are tugging the heartstrings there and then all of a sudden the end of episode three you know the doctor is uh face to face with sutek and and then he's and then episode four it's all he's mind controlled and then he and sarah have to find his way find their way through these traps and right. it kind of becomes almost like a reality show yeah, especially it becomes yeah, very survivorish when when they're jumping through the hoops, and it's like I feel like that was a bit of a tired thing, and it kind of 
yeah, it, it works, but it's it's like Sarah name checks the city of the Exelons early on, uh, yeah. or is it early on? It's basically one of the one of the tricks, and it's like, well, the, yeah, it, it's not only is that is it similar, like the pattern is similar, and the puzzle is similar, like the plot is similar. Like we need to jump <laughs> through some hoops to get to the um, you know basically play some some trivia games and some kids games to get to this. The, the, and that the was Exelon was was a, a Dalek episode, I believe. Uh, not yeah, one it was I'm familiar it, with. It was Death of the Daleks. It's also kind of like people nitpick at that moment because it's like, well, Sarah was actually never in the city of the Exelons and Death of the Daleks. So, how does mm. she know it's like that? And you know, you could reckon because they, well, maybe the Doctor showed her some pictures. <laughs> he took a few selfies yeah, exactly. while he was in there and <laughs> check this out. <laughs> And then, and then he digitally put Sarah in those selfies <laughs> afterwards, just to be like, okay, you missed out, but here's what it would have looked like if we'd been there. Uh, but, but totally to me, definitely different. To me, this those segments, and, and I hadn't seen this, so it didn't sort of register as a, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're just repeating the same trope. To me, it kind of had a chilling feel of there was a show on British TV around about this time, late 70s, early 80s, and it was called The Adventure Game. Hmm. And it had a lot of these moments of, like, you know, the conceit was a bunch of celebrities. It was a sort of reality show before there were reality shows. A bunch of celebrities get transported to this alien world, and they kind of meet a lot of the same characters every week, played by the same actors. Uh, But they have to make it through. They have to sort of get across... Uh, you know, this sort of vast expanse that's supposed to be a vortex. And they had to, you know, properly solve a puzzle. Um, And if they don't, it's like these celebrities will appear to be killed, right? They will appear to vanish. And you're like, oh no, this sort of favorite children's TV celebrity has just been annihilated because they stepped on the wrong thing in the vortex. Grim. Um, So, yeah, it sort of had this... That's what the, the Doctor looking at this large... Um, what Sarah describes a little insensitively as a Chinese puzzle, um, <laughs> which, which I think she means it looks a bit Mahjong-esque. Um, you know, uh, it, that, that definitely had that feel for me of like, oh no, they're, they're going to step into the vortex now and vanish. And it was, it was a little little scary. But yeah, for a um, for an American view, I imagine that that might look a little bit more sort of, hey, you know, Doctor Reality Show-esque. Yeah. Well, what I what kind of bothered me and always bothers me about some of these things, because um, there was a similar puzzle, sort of chessboard puzzle moment in the Five Doctors, where yes, um, there, it becomes this deadly chessboard that people are walking through. But the Doctor, in, similarly, like has some way to solve the puzzle, but he it's just techno babble. Like he just says a few words about this or that, and it's like, oh, and I just yeah. hit this one, and it, it works. It's scarf. It's scarf babble. He uses his scarf to measure the lengths of various, uh, you know, hieroglyphs. Yeah, in, and I'm kind of like, can't you, can't you find like a puzzle in a book somewhere that you know, like even if you can't come up, the writer can't come up with something super original, like. I want to follow along. I want this to be like a brain teaser. Um, but this this may be, and, and and again, I'm not familiar with the entirety of Baker's era. But is is this maybe the only explanation we ever get for why it's the do- useful for the Doctor to have this giant scarf? With <laughs> I think I think it might be. 
Uh, other than sort of obvious things like it doubles as a rope and, you know, various ways he uses it to muffle people. Like, it's just handy yep. generally. But, yeah, in terms of, like, puzzles to figure out, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I use I mean, it, it to beats count celery. the number of threads. And, you know, I use it to estimate distances. Right. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. But, you know, I got to say... Um, the Sutek, I mean, he's never really uh, somehow he never really is a get to be gets to be the the d- destroyer. You never just really get to see him be this explicit villain doing really evil things. He does it through his minion uh, Marcus, who I thought was very good. I thought he was very mm. menacing. Um, oh my goodness! He certainly that. he certainly had the cheekbones for it. Yeah. So I like I I don't I'm bringing this up not as a criticism like for somehow like. They all the stuff from the devastated earth, from the eyes, the imagery of the uh, of set, like the sort of horse head, quasi horse head image, which is actually pretty mm. scary looking. Um, yeah. All of that works, you know. Somehow, even though we never quite get to see him fully realized, and I think this is one of the things the classic series sort of had to do, and when it does it, it does it masterfully. Um, really. Uh, gets the menace across the, the like you really get the sense this thing is powerful this thing is truly evil he has actually a really good sort of line it's very simple in terms of uh, Sutek's philosophy but he basically says your evil is my good I you know I am the destroyer I'm going to kill everything and you know turn the universe to dust I see that as good it makes no sense. It's obviously psychotic, but it's like, that's very scary. So they, it really works. And like, I like, um, like I say, with, for the classic series, when you don't really have much of a budget to show those kinds of things and how evil uh, and, and how destructive he could be, um, the the story and everything around it really, um, you know, you, you get to the end of the story, you realize you quite haven't seen it except for like that vision of the future. And you don't mind. Yeah. You're like, oh wow, yeah, that I was, I was, I was freaked out. Yeah, Sutek is is surprisingly effective, and and um, you know, you mentioned the 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 appearance of of the of the head, uh, just kind of kind of scary, very fever dreamish. Right. Um, the 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 Sutek uh, costume itself is kind of kind of scary. I mean, I think that in in the context of. Uh, Egyptology being being more of a thing, perhaps in the seventies. You know, I feel like this was probably in the wake of a, a thousand um, documentaries about right. you know the the tomb of Tutankhamun. You know, that was kind of a big thing in the seventies, um, <clears throat> and the various Egyptian tombs. Like, I I feel it was probably scarier at the time, but I I think that they managed to transmit some of that seventies scariness through the design of Sutek's costume. Um, you you do sort of feel the the ancientness of this of this character, just inventing a word there, but uh, but yeah, you get it. You know, like I I kind of bought that this this guy was set slash Satan slash Sutex. Like yeah. You know, well, uh, I like the that, that sort of reference. To I really thought it was a really good moment guys. when he, and, and that's episode four when. Um, the doctor's just blown up. He's gone in, and the the has blo- actually is, is it the cl- is it the climax to episode three actually, where Sutek is there. You kind of see him his his head really for the first time and close up, mm. and his eyes glow green, 
and the, and Tom Baker screams clearly in pain. And I thought that was very good, you know, cause it also like you get the callback to the first episode. Clearly this is what happened to Marcus because there was the same light. Um, and you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you're in the dark and maybe like a cat is staring at you, you know, and you kind of <laughs> like, you know, the big yeah. eyes, you just, it's a little, it's a little unnerving. It uh, was pretty scary. I unfortunately was, I, I, I wasn't exactly spoiled on that, but I think I was, um, my expectations were raised by the fact that, uh, Charlie Jane Anders, uh, science fiction writer and friend of mine and former editor of io9 described this on io9 as one of the best cliffhangers in all of classic Doctor Who at the end of episode three. So I think I was expecting mm. something a little bit more than just there's a green glow and the Doctor screams. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of a nice cliffhanger. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's kind of a nice one. Uh, it's definitely Doctor, a good one. You know, face to face with Sutek for the first time in the whole story. So, yeah, so yeah, all, the Egypt, works. all the Egyptology, like I say, um, they really hit you over the head with it. And, you know, to your point about the 70s, I think that's dead on. I think it was very much like probably uh, worked better then. But really, I got to say, this is one of the commentaries I've heard, seen of this episode. I think it's actually accurate. It's a criticism that uh it it really doesn't make a ton of sense you know <laughs> like like why <laughs> why is the rocket shaped like a pyramid that would kind of like makes no aerodynamic sense i mean not to you know but it's just like why why would you ever do that uh maybe it's just a spacecraft um you think about like well why why are the mummy why are these service robots dressed as mummies at all like mm. how does that even make sense and and then you start to think well wait a minute why why are there robots there <laughs> you know, like why, why, why are there robots that are doing suits? Like, where did those come from? Did he build them, or were they like service robots that Horus left, and he just took them over? And why would you leave things for Sutek to take over? Um, like, you know, you start to sort of unpack it, and like, not only does the imagery not make much sense, like in terms of the sarcophagus and all this stuff, but a lot of the, a lot of the plot elements, like they're really like, you know, you could you could you know fire a rocket through some of the plot holes here. You really could, and it's sort of it's it's definitely indicative of how much we've changed, uh, how sophisticated we've become as an audience in in the modern era. That that you know, New Who would never let you get away with these sort of plot holes, and it would explain them even though it ha would have less time in a story to do so. Like I, I think that this would probably be a you know one fifty minute story in in the modern era. Yeah. Um, uh, which Probably is wouldn't certainly have the poacher could, or... could bear, bear it right down, but you'd have a lot more explanation of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think it would and be. We um, could just if you for as as Egyptology, um, you know, uh, cosmic Egyptology goes. You know, you could look at the Stargate <laughs> for yeah. uh, some guidance as like how to do that a little better. I mean, even though Stargate has issues, it's like okay, the way they kind of realized these old design these these egyptian designs from uh, the ancient era and, and make them sort of more modern and more like a sci-fi uh you know weapon or or spacesuit um that that tended to work of course that had a tremendous yeah. more budget but you know what that's true but but on on the script side i think in the 70s you know we, we just sort of 60s and 70s we kind of accepted that science fiction just didn't like a lot of the plots just didn't make sense and we were just sort of overwhelmed by the spooky of this, spookiness of this. Um, interesting aside, I I recently watched the Dick Van Dyke show for the very first time. 
Oh, wow. Uh, the reason being WandaVision. Right. And uh, <laughs> WandaVision, which uh, has just concluded in, in our timeline when we're recording this. <laughs> and there, there is a, you see a clip of a Dick Van Dyke show during WandaVision uh, of an episode where, like, it's it's about walnuts. Uh, right. And <laughs> it's it's all a dream and it's kind of a reference to what's going on in WandaVision itself. So I was like, okay, I've never seen the Dick Van Dyke show. It was never broadcast in the uk so this is a perfect opportunity to track down that episode and that episode turns out to be all about this um scary sci-fi movie that dick and uh uh, mary tyler moore have been watching late at night right and that's why when it goes into the dream like the world is full of walnuts because walnuts were something that this alien was using in this in this sci-fi movie and when he's describing the plot of this sci-fi movie which is so, sort of supposed to be a bit twilight zone-ish like the plot doesn't make any sense um <laughs> and and mary tyler moore is super scared by it anyway and it's just sort of like obviously they, they've got they've got the theremin music in the background you know that was obligatory uh, and that made up for a lot but it's sort of almost you can see through the prism of that episode how much nonsense you know, you yeah. got away with in science fiction in the 60s and 70s because it just, it was just like we, the viewer kind of assembled most of it in their head and they, they had the, the scariness of certain things already. I think in this case, Egyptology, in the case of Pyramids of Mars, but also like my mind goes to the, the original opening of Battlestar Galactica. Do you okay. remember this? They talk about like the, original? The, the Mayans and the Toltecs. Oh, yes, um, the narration, of course, yeah. Yeah, the narration at the start of Battlestar Galactica were like, oh, you know, it's all Chariot of the Gods stuff. Right. You know, Also we, big we at the time. That was huge at the time. That was definitely an undercurrent in the 70s that there was some connection between aliens and uh, ancient civilizations on Earth. Um, so I think this, this, you know, Pyramids of Mars is definitely a time capsule from that era, and uh, definitely an explanation of, of how they got away with like huge plot holes yeah. just because you were kind of drenched in the the spooky atmospherics of it. Do you want to hear the most nitpicky plot hole there is of this episode? Yes, please. It's it's Always. pretty extreme. Okay, strap in. Okay. <laughs> so, Sutek is trapped on Earth. Uh, we yep. talked about that earlier, but let's, for the sake of this, <laughs> assume that's, that's the case. Let's assume it is Earth. Earth. Okay. And the transmitter that's keeping him trapped is on Mars. Now, it's radio waves. The doctor explicitly says this because, again, the two minutes that he has when the Eye of Horus is destroyed takes two minutes for those radio waves to get to Earth. So we know it's done by radio. It's not some space technology that goes faster than light. So Hmm. here's what the problem. Earth and Mars do not have the exact same orbit, right? They Earth is fast, goes around faster, and therefore, at certain times, Earth and Mars are on opposite sides of the sun. So how mm. then do the radio waves where they're keeping uh, uh, Sutek trapped get... How do they work? You know, you need, you need either some kind of secondary transmitter or a series of satellites... Or yeah. you know something else, some kind of repeater to do that, <laughs> but there's no mention a relay that. system. Yeah, you need yeah. a relay system. Um, but there, that, either that exists somewhere and it's just never mentioned because whatever, um, or you know, 
it, it, it is using some kind of space technology that we don't really fully understand. So that's, Space technology uh, that can go through the sun. Can go through the sun with radio waves. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was a... Uh, a thing I forget. I can't. I wish I could remember who cited that. I think it's one of those sort of big hardcover Doctor Who books. It might have been John Peel, but mm. I'm not sure. But it is that is like one of the the most sort of extreme nitpicky um, picks at this episode on why it doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, which, you know, again, I, I, the kind of thing you wouldn't get away with in the modern era. Yeah, I think you could get away with this particular one. I'm just like, um, you know, it. <laughs> I think it would be one line of dialogue with some satellites, and then. Uh, like we'd have to figure out how why those satellites are cloaked and humans haven't haven't figured. Seen well, them, well but. speaking of the solar system, I think you you mentioned that the um, there was an original version of the story that took place on the moon. With That's the correct. Yeah. So the original writer, there's actually the the person credited for writing this is a pseudonym. The person credited is Stephen Harris, but that's sort of a weird mashup of the original writer, which is Louis Greifer, I believe the name is, and Robert Holmes, who completely rewrote it. So the mm. original version actually started at a British museum. It involved the brigadier and this so very unit-esque idea of like growing grain on the moon. And for whatever reason, um, Sutek is awakened at the museum. Obviously, there's an, uh, an Egyptology exhibit. And he and his mummy minions come to, I don't know, steal the grain, steal, poison the grain, do something with the grain. <laughs> um, and it was a very kind of like blow out the budget kind of writing here. They clearly couldn't do it. Um, there was apparently, it was going to have the Brigadier and there was considered, uh, rumored anyway, that they were going to kill him off in this episode. Which might have just been wow. like a thing that was brought up and never really seriously considered but uh apparently was talked about um but they looked at the script they liked parts of it obviously the the sutex stuff uh the egypt stuff but they were like well we can't do this so we need to rewrite it to budget but um lewis greifer wasn't available so robert holmes came in uh and essentially rewrote it top to bottom uh keeping some of the elements and uh, we have what we know now as Pyramids of Mars, which also is yeah. notable for being the first mention of Gallifrey's coordinates. Yes. Coordinates from galactic center, whatever it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Binary, binary numbers. And and it's sort of from a weird moment in episode four where Sutek is like, you know, Doctor says I'm from Gallifrey in the constellation Castabras. And Sutek's like, names mean nothing to me. What's coordinates? That's that's all I care about. And then, and then, <laughs> Sutek is like, oh, you're a Time Lord. Oh, I know the Time Lords. Yeah, I um, like that. Because in the old series, like, it dude, seemed to you imply... Just said, you just said names mean nothing. <laughs> but apparently the name of Time Lords does mean a lot. Well, I like that because if... In the old series, anyway, if you were aware of the Time Lords it, as a race or as sort of a powerful individual, it indicated you were like kind of on a level that, mm. you know, you were a cosmic threat. Um, so if you'd never heard of the Time Lords, you, you're like, oh, clearly you're you're small time, you know? <laughs> like, um, yeah, so, the Doctor can look down on you at that point. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, he he might take some time to help you sort out your Android problem, but uh, no, generally, like, I, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, sort of in this another sort of way uh, point to establish sort of Sutex power level. Um, 
but yeah, that original version sounded interesting. I'd love to see sort of like a, a screenplay. Um, speaking of the Brigadier, though, so the 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 episode begins a little bit like what we talked about, what Tom Baker's sort of musing um, about his place, that he's a Time Lord. He also sort of mentions at one point he's tired of, sort of essentially being the Brigadier's sidekick, which I thought yeah. was about as definitive a statement as the series made as to sort of why he stopped hanging out with Unit. You know, because it's like the following episode from this one is the Android Invasion, which is essentially the last unit story, at least until it's mentioned again when they bring back the Brigadier and Modern Undead and all the stuff that they'd done with it in the, the new series. Um, so, you know, uh, obviously, you know, this is uh, the Philip Hinchcliffe era. He was moving away from things, doing different things. and um, But this is... You know, it's suddenly the doctor just stopped doing things with unit, and it seems you know for whatever reason it's uh, it's it's because of he suddenly had <laughs> this moment, this sort of existential crisis of his own. Like, what am I doing here? I got to yeah. I need to do I, more important things, I guess. I feel like the 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 new series again would would make a little bit more of the fact that that is what kind of massive ego on on you do you have to have? You're the doctor, <laughs> and you think you're the sidekick to the brigadier. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's clearly I mean are we seeing stuff you know is there stuff we're not seeing off screen where, where the Brigadier's acting all haughty and you know and, and the Doctor is, is merely his, his gopher I don't think so yeah maybe um, I just took it to mean he's like this is this is a little too small time for me to just mm. hang out on Earth and solve the Brigadier's robot problems here and there right because yeah. if you think about it like that was ascent, I think Pretty much, I think it was the Android Invasion and the and Robot were the two previous unit stories. And right. if you look at the stakes, I mean, Android Invasion was high enough, but you're like, okay, like, especially Robot, which was like this one robot that, you know, and there was a nuclear war potentially. It was all very Avengers and not so much Doctor Who. Um, yeah. And so they were like, so we're, we're speaking of that, Avengers as in old school Avengers, I think you you yes. that to me. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're at the end of uh, the Doctor's second, uh, Tom Baker's second season. Is that right? Um, let me think. Uh, I think this is the middle of the second season. Middle of the second, and, right. and then Android and Fate. Okay, and then Brave and Morbius. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's taken the Doctor quite a long time to decide that he doesn't want to stick around with Unit because he's been like how many seasons now since he was officially liberated. And you know, no, no longer officially confined to Earth. Yeah, uh, so it was, was the three doctors, three doctors right? Yeah. So there is at least a full season. I think two full seasons if Pertwee. Um, and now another season and a half. So it's been about three years. Three years since he yeah. first got the uh, the TARDIS back, like full time. Yeah, uh, and he's just, it's not like he hasn't done stuff. Like, you know, there was Death of the Daleks and other various episodes. But it was like he kind of knew home base was like Earth and Unit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's he's sort of you know he's 
he's sort of flown the nest, but he's not quite ready to leave. It's it's kind of an interesting psychological situation for him there. Right. Like, and I think I think if I think about I know I name checked the seeds of doom earlier. I believe Unit is is mentioned in that episode, but it's never really seen. And you know, that's that was kind of that was kind of it until until Modern mm-hmm. Undead. So um, yeah, it's definitely like a statement. I mean, it's not a definitive statement, but he's very much like, yeah, we're not going to do unit so much anymore. And, you know, I think most people think that's fine. You know, that, that was a good era. We had a good run. Uh, some stuff got repetitive. And now let's also not just try different things, but let's really unlock the the vastness of the potential for, for the stories, what, what the Doctor can do. Let's really unlock some things. And... You know, obviously they went on to do things like the Deadly Assassin and Underworld, more stuff with the Time Lords. Um, they got into sort of that era. They did the Key to Time, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think I think the series was uh, mostly better off for it. Interesting piece of trivia for you. I'm just looking at the the spreadsheet of stories that we use for our randomizer, and from from Spearhead from Space, which is the beginning of the Doctor's official exile on Earth to the three doctors is 14 stories okay and from uh the three doctors through to android invasion is more it's uh 18 stories i believe uh, so he spends more time working for unit voluntarily as it well i mean obviously it was voluntarily in the first place but you know he spends more time working with the unit when he could just go right right well there's more uh, stories in between certainly but like i say a bunch of those are not really unit stories right so there's like frontier in space and uh, he gets more Planet vacation time yeah he gets more vacation time <laughs> <laughs> generous vacation package at unit unlimited you might say totally well you know that's just a trick right they don't have to then they don't have to pay people when they have bank time when they leave unit yeah they pioneer yeah, we never find out if the doctor actually quit right which leads to these wonderful uh moments in the modern era like in day at the doctor where he's like do, do i have a desk do i do i still work for you uh yes Where's i want this report on my desk didn't they bring up his back pay once or something i, I forget <laughs> but yeah he definitely got his promotion though when he you know got to be president. <laughs> I, I would love to see a, a Doctor Who story that is all just sort of employment arbitration. Like <laughs> finally, just like the Doctor gets a lawyer, we just sit down and sort out the back pay issue, the vacation issue. The car you know. issue, Bessie and his little hovercraft and flying things that he had later. Uh, I remember that was like in, the, in Spearhead from Space. He just, he's like, I don't need money. Oh, but I want that car. That's a good car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so who's paid in kind? Mm-hmm. You know, is is this even legal? Uh, what what's his employment status as an illegal alien on Earth? Um, you know, so many issues you could bring up with that. I'd I'd watch the heck out of that. Totally. So should we um, revisit what the ranking this episode has in terms of classic episodes or uh, the top ten? Yeah. So yeah, where do you so stand, Chris? I. I liked this. Um, I think it's a little overhyped, historically speaking, and I can understand why. Um, because I first encountered Pyramids of Mars as a, you know, as a as a quote, like in the in the um, the twentieth anniversary book 
the K-Man. I think it was Doctor Who, the visual companion, um, or something like that. It was a big old book that sort of had uh, descriptions of every every series and every Doctor and so on. And there was a big, uh, you know, big image of Tom Baker that I actually pulled out and stuck on my bedroom wall, which was, was the I Walk in Eternity quote from Pyramids of Mars. That's how I knew it. And I knew sort of the main beats from that. And it had a few photos from the series. And it just looks really cool. It's, this is an episode that has visual style. Uh, just in every shot of the Doctor and Sarah. Uh, you know, the Doctor in the, in the most classic of his classic Tom Baker costume. Uh, you know, Sarah in, in the great Victorian dress. You know, pictures of them with the mummies it just it's visually striking um and a, a lot of cool lines of dialogue in it but as a story i don't think it really hangs together i think it could be massively compressed so no this does not rise to the ranking of eighth best doctor who story which is where it currently stands in the most recent doctor who magazine rankings from 2014. I think it was a little bit higher in 2009. I think it got to like number seven or six or so. Right. Um, no, this is, I think this is sort of clearly not in the top ten. Like, mm. you know, may, maybe I'm becoming, you know, much more of a new series fan than I used to be, but I could name off the top of my head, you know, ten stories that are better than this in, in the new series. Just... Just purely story-wise, you know, leaving aside the style and the look of it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it up there. That said, we we talked about this a bit of, of we, are we going to do rankings of um, the shows that we've seen? Mm -hmm. uh, because we haven't seen a whole lot of classic episodes yet. Um, and we haven't necessarily seen a lot of good episodes yet, or particularly good episodes yet so it's it's interesting what have we seen king's demons planet of fire invisible enemy dark, uh, water. dark water death in heaven um sleep no more like out right. of all of that uh <laughs> on some of the I think uh, pyramids of mars yes and, and jody whittaker stuff you know maybe fugitive of the jadu yeah yeah that's it's okay. a better story than this perhaps i'd agree um uh, but out of what we've seen so far, Pyramids of Mars is, is probably up at the top. Yeah, I mean, me, uh, Dark Water, I think, probably wins for me over it. Um, maybe also Fugitive of the Jadoon. So it's up there. Mm -hmm. That said, um, I tend to agree with what you said earlier about this probably resonating uh, much more in the 70s with the the contemporary... Um, climate around, you know, ancient beings being influenced by, or sort of ancient civilizations being influenced by alien beings. Yeah. Um, I think it was like it's like almost, and there were a bunch, there were a bunch of episodes in the Tom Baker era that sort of zeroed in on that. Image of Fendal comes to mind. Um, I think this one might do it the best. Um, so it's very, very good for that reason. I also really liked one of the things that really works for me. It worked for me as a kid, and I I knew it was coming, but I, I still liked it was the the way he defeats Sutek, it's one of those things, it's, it's easy to understand, and it makes, even though a lot of the plot doesn't make sense, it, it really works. Because you, you kind of wonder, like, well, what, how did he trap him? And he explains, it's like, he had two minutes, because the radio waves 
you know, hadn't hit Earth yet or hadn't been cut off from Earth yet. And I really liked that as a kid because, you know, it, it made 100% physical sense, um, even though there were, like, things you could nitpick at, as I, as I talked about. And I, was very, I found it very satisfying, um, it, almost in the same way when, if you've seen, like, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, yep. and the way they defeat Khan at the end of that is that he, even though Khan is super intelligent, he's not experienced, and the way he's fighting Kirk uh, in starships is like he's thinking more two-dimensionally, like they're on the sea or something. And mm. Kirk uses that to his advantage. He just sort of goes down like a submarine and then comes back up. And they could they probably could have done that better with, with more sort of modern effects of like actually shooting at him from the Z-axis and stuff. But point is, it's a very straightforward physical thing that's easy to understand. There's no techno babble. And it's like, oh, of course. You know, like the, it's a, kind of like this eureka moment, which is hard to do and not telegraph it. Um, so I give it a lot of points for that, like in terms of story, in terms of in terms of story and mood, even though a lot of the other aspects of the story don't make sense. Is it the best? I think if it were number eight for just the classic series, I could give it that. Um, mm. But for all of who, no, no. I think it's, it's, it's fairly down. Um, and there are definitely this time... More, I had more to pick at it. Like I say, because we're not really in that same zone of the seventies where uh, Egyptian culture and, you know, chariots of the gods isn't as prevalent right now. It doesn't really hit home as much. Uh, even though the menace is still there. Um, it's, it's very, very good. I think to your, everything you said, it is archetypical Tom Baker, uh, Liz Sladen, Dr. Sarah adventure. Um, but you know, I could, I could name probably three, four, four more adventures from the same season, even that um, yeah. are are similar in that regard. So it's up there, uh, but it's not it's not in the top ten. I'll, I'll say one one thing that that I kind of liked that we haven't mentioned so far. Uh, on his way to destroying Sutek, um, the Doctor has to get Sarah out of this tube. Right. This, this transparent and and very <laughs> very flexible tube that kind of wobbles a lot, um, but nevertheless it is solid and she is trapped in there. Uh, and he has to do it with a variation on I believe is it the prisoner's dilemma, this sort of classic log- logic problem of there are two guards, right. and one of them always tells the truth and the other always lies. What is the one question that you ask them? Uh, and you know you have two buttons one that's going to blow Sarah up one that's going to free her um, and and the doctor you know finds the right question immediately of course it's it's not a problem for his intellect you oh ask. when you're 750 yeah I mean he's <laughs> like that's a kid's game man he still takes a while to think about it but yeah. he gets there eventually you know um, but but what I like about that it sort of goes back to the original Doctor Who remit from the you know the 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 Rethian era of the BBC where it was supposed to be educational right and you know Doctor Who was going to take us these historical time periods to teach us a bit about history you know here we have uh, all all kids watching this instantly learning um, you know lateral thinking and logic problems so I like that part yeah no it was good and I remember even when I again as a kid I had never heard that problem I imagine if a lot of people who see that for the first time probably don't haven't thought about the prisoner's dilemma so. I totally, mm. yeah, I, I endorse it there, even though, you know, Sutek, come on, man. Or no, I guess that was Horus who put that in, yeah. not Sutek. Um, Horus with a hoary old logic problem. Yeah. Well, 
he 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 had some good reference material. Clearly, like the space internet. Then, uh, you know, he was googling it pretty quickly when he set it up. I think so. <laughs> it's got like okay, we're gonna do some mahjong. Well, I guess it was uh, like you know, if it was seven thousand years ago, it was probably like pretty sophisticated for the time. Yeah, he's got. A, I've got a logic problem that's gonna blow their minds. Nobody's ever thought of it before. Yeah, and then she's <laughs> probably right. <laughs> Uh, so there All we right. have it. In, in Doctor Who canon, Horace invents uh, logic problems 7,000 years ago. Nice. Uh, well, we could skip over what if the evil planet succeeded, obviously, as they show yeah. us. The uh, Earth is destroyed. Totally. Um, but ultimately, I think, like you say, both of us come out. Like it was Obviously, this is a, this is a plus. This is, a, this is in the Dalek-Ogron rating system. It's definitely a Dalek. Mm. Um, but mm. in the, the top 10 world... Um, that's a tough one. Top ten for us so far, not necessarily. So far, I I have a feeling it will be knocked out, but uh, but it's going to be an interesting marker going forward. I think you know, we'll we'll look at future episodes and be like, is this better or worse than Pyramids of Mars? For sure, a marker, a triangular marker in our mm-hmm. quest to watch all Doctor Who in random order. Which, by the way, we're going to have to find out where we're going next. Are you yep, ready with the technology? I'm ready to fire you up have the, the randomizer? randomizer. Here we go. Um, all right. So, Uh-oh. so we have just to remind you. Uh, Did you just, just get a call you, or something? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Whoa! What happened? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Something happened. It's. <laughs> I was actually trying to make the TARDIS noise from my little TARDIS USB hub. Oh, that, well, that's I okay. That I was dissatisfied have, uh... with my, my throw to the new to, the, to this spot anyway, so we can do it again. <laughs> All right. Speaking of random order and the, the randomizer, yep. Chris, do you have do you have the technology? Do you have it in front of you? Yes. So All just right. to remind everyone how we do on pull to open how we do the TARDIS randomizer. We have a complete list of every Doctor Who story, which we have defined slightly differently from the official list in some cases, but roughly, you know, the same as anyone's list. Um, there are, by our reckonings, uh, 298 stories so far in the Doctor Who canon. We're talking about TV stories. Um, and we go randomly through them using random.org, which is the only service that will provide you true randomness on the internet because it is using atmospheric noise to generate randomness, which seems like the most Doctor Who thing that you could possibly do. <laughs> um, so I plugged in the the uh, minimum and maximum numbers. Okay. Good and... We're gonna hit. I'm gonna hit generate. I'm gonna tell you the number, and then Pete, you are you are looking at the spreadsheet right now, and you're honestly gonna tell us what the story is. Oh my god, the pressure! All right, okay, we're ready? Queuing up that tab. Here we go. <laughs> okay, generate. Geronimo! Fifty-four. Fifty-four. Oh my! Early. Oh my! It is Inferno. Whoa! Look at that. I have not seen that one. It's a seven-parter. Um, oh my goodness! A seven-part Pertwee story. My this goodness. is it's the first time that we've delved into that era, and the first time that we've had such a long, almost as long <laughs> as we can possibly get. Um, Man, you thought of... you thought pyramids of Mars had padding. 
dude, this is the last seven parter. Like, honestly, no episode after this one goes this long. Like, I think there's mm. some six parters, obviously, in, in, uh, here and there in this, the yeah. Pertwee era. Um, I think even Baker, like, there's some six parters, but nothing goes seven or longer until Trial of a Time Lord. Yeah, which, which we have in our version of the story split into three stories. True. So, even that so it's not even that. Yep. Inferno. Wow. Another classic. Another one that is very unique in terms of how it tells its story and what, you know, it has to say about the Doctor Who universe. This is exciting. Oh, wow. It's like. Uh, Do you oh. know, I, I can't remember a thing about Inferno. I, yeah. I'm sure I've read about it at some point, but other than knowing it's a unit story, I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's. Uh, you're in for a treat, my friend. This is also. <laughs> um, considered a classic uh in not not the same as pyramids of mars but they're both i would say probably almost in equal regard uh even though pyramids mm -hmm. of mars maybe because it's hinchcliffe because it's you know ultimate baker doctor who uh might be holding generally in slightly higher re high regard by fans of the classic series but inferno is very very high up there so hmm. it'll be it'll be a fun well, one i'm excited i'm excited to dip into some poetry it's not really an era i know very well I know, yeah. I um, I remember he was his stuff was on daily when I started watching the show. So it was like on the reruns at once they had finished with Davison, who was new at the time. Uh, he was the newest doctor. They went back to Pertwee, and hmm. uh, so we, we went right from episode four of the Caves of Androzani to episode one of Spearhead from Space. I remember thinking, wow. "Oh, this is great! I'm going to see the next Doctor." Oh no, wait, it's not. <laughs> that's not the guy you regenerated into it was very confusing for a minute and then i was like oh, i realized oh they're doing some old stuff so little did you know that was definitely the right choice rather than proceeding with Colin Baker. <laughs> they were doing me a favor good yeah. old pbs you didn't want the tw twin dilemma at that uh, point that would have who, not, who does not been good well news. that'll be an interesting one to revisit someday but we're heading into inferno <laughs> so um yeah it is that's uh that's gonna be we'll see you in two weeks yeah, we, we have two weeks to watch Inferno, which basically means we've got to watch an episode <laughs> at least every other day. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is some so, serious homework. We might we might be just in time. Did uh, you, by the way, we, we talked about how we watch these episodes in the past, and you said that with uh, Planet of Fire, I think you said that you'd, you'd watch one episode every night to try and reclaim that that old school feeling of what it's like to wait between episodes. I did indeed. Did you do that with Pyramids of Mars? Uh, I did actually. I didn't uh, necessarily intend to do that, and I do. I did have a day or two I, I skipped in the middle, uh, but I watched mm -hmm. one episode a night, and um, I think the to rank the cliffhangers, uh, I would definitely agree that the the episode three was was the best. Hmm. In fact, I could barely and, and remember the others. <laughs> yes, oh, Sarah screams because she's attacked by a mummy. Right, she's That's about to be the... killed by the mummy. And they yeah. somehow destroy that one. And it's not very scary. Use the ring to stop. Yeah, whatever. No, it wasn't great. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. This has been great exploring some classic who with you. I look forward to doing some more, uh, not next week, but soon. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Um, if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, <laughs> please subscribe to our podcast. It's called Pull to Open. Uh, in case you're encountering this on a, on a web um uh, embed or something like that uh, yeah if we're available wherever you find podcasts please tell your friends please leave a review 
Go ahead and follow us on uh, your socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram at PultaOpen63 and on TikTok at PultaOpen. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the TikToks. Get some bite-sized yeah. uh, bite-sized helpings of the podcast there with some visuals, so it's super fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to the TikToks that will result from this, this episode. Totally. Uh. <laughs> I, uh, I suspect some some Sutek imagery, some Egyptian imagery is coming to TikTok very soon. Cool. Some mummies. All right. We look forward to it, and we will see you next time. Spore Inferno. Bye, everyone. Thank you.